at the still point of the turning world, neither flesh nor fleshless, neither from nor towards, at the still point there the dance is, but neither arrest nor movement, and do not call it fixity, where past and future are gathered, neither movement from nor towards, neither ascent nor decline, except for the point, the still point, there would be no dance, and there is only the dance. I can only say there we have been, but I cannot say where, and I cannot say how long, for that is to place it in time. In 86, Anna Martin wrote the first book of what became a cult. Now it's time oh you know what we should do here tanner recording because it's 11 30 at night great yep that's good uh i'll remind you that we are recording the the act of recording is us having a conversation with each other that's what we're doing that's what this is that's what this podcast is we have a conversation with each other okay (laughs) <laughs> Good. That's, you seem pretty acquiescent in that. And a reminder, as I always have to in these difficult times when we are racing against the clock, talking faster doesn't make the time go faster. It makes you go faster, though. <laughs> okay. Um, here's what I want you to do. If you have a free computer, check our BSCC podcast Twitter uh-huh. to see what the latest is. On the Wandering Frog People game, I don't know if while you've been gallivanting around Paris, you have noticed that there are currently two losers. Whoa, are you for real? I'm not one of them, am I? Shit, I'm not one of them, am I? Not yet. I am currently a loser of the Wandering Frog People game. Yeah, and you always will be. And there is a man named Baby Boy Colin, Uh huh. who in an act of masochism... That reminds me of uh, Hellraiser. Yeah. What's the box called in Hellraiser? It's called the Lament Configuration. The Lament Configuration. Which I mean, it's called the Puzzle Box, but... Yeah. And I'm correct that in Hellraiser, people deliberately seek out the Puzzle Box and start to play the game that is going to end in their eternal torment and misery, right? Right, yeah, but as you know, pain is pleasure Right. in the world of Hellraiser. Yeah, that is, that's uh, straight from Pinhead, right? Yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> to bring this tortured metaphor to hopefully a close, that's what someone named Baby B. Colin did and went out and bought his own wandering frog person. Here's what I'm jealous of, Jack. I'm looking at the picture now. His wandering frog person is so much better than ours. Ours is good, but his is like this funny little frog man. He's got a little like tongue that's sticking out. And he's going like, <laughs> well, wandering frog people come in all shapes and sizes, and it's not the quality of the frog person. It's where that frog person is that matters in terms of whether you're winning or losing in this this game of sorrow. Do you know where right now? Do you know where the official BSC frog person is? Yes. Okay. I packed my grandmother's trunk. No. This early in the game? Yeah, my, I sent it to my grandma's house. I know for a fact from BSCC lore that your grandmother is no longer with us. <laughs> well. Now I have two people to worry about, you and Colin hitting me yeah. with the wandering frog person. This is exactly why we never triangulated. 
this is exactly why I never gave out my coordinates or my address to any of Baby Nation for this very reason, because now none of them can get me. I literally just gave my personal home address to a member of Baby Nation who I know, claims, a huge mistake. claims to have gotten Anne Matthews Martin's autograph on a graphic novel of Christie's great idea for us. Yeah, right. I'm, as if scholastic lawyers would allow that, Jack. Well, my hope is that if Anne and Martin has genuinely written her secret true name on that, mm-hmm. then we'll... Then we'd have power over her. Yeah, we'll be able to gain some power over her. So we'll Baby Nation, we'll update you on that. Um, all right, I'm just looking at Colin's Twitter here. Um, so he says he got a waiter to serve it to his wife at dinner last night. Oh, that's good. Oh, shit, right now he doesn't know where it is. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, he Colin owns might be losing. He's got yeah, it. Okay. He's got He's it. Losing. Yeah. All right. So right now there are two current losers. And how many people in the world? 7.5 billion. 7.5 billion minus two winners of the Wandering Frog People game. Those two losers currently are Jack Shepard and Baby B, Colin. Sorry. Sorry for your loss. Yep. Um, hi, hi. Hi, hi. Hi, hi, and yeah. welcome. Hi. It's good. You're good, man. Hi, hi, and welcome to the Babysitter's Club. 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 Okay. Um, a podcast in which I, Jack Shepard. Uh, how do you say and in French? Et? A. A. Je. Moi. A. Moi. Tanner Greenring. Talk about the classic novels of Princeton's own Princess Annabelle Matthews Martin the Great, first of her name. Last of her kind and last hope for humankind. I don't want to indulge you. I, I hate I hate it when you do that. But uh-huh. I want to amend something I said last week. I said I was staying on Rue de Martin. Uh huh. Um, I'm not. I'm staying on Rue de Saint Martin. Oh wow! So it turns out that Princeton's own Anna Martin has actually been canonized. Yep. And. She is now a saint, and I hate to encourage you, but I think amending your introduction with saint would be appropriate. It sounds like the French have already gone ahead in their French way and decided without any notification from the Vatican that Anna Martin has performed three verified miracles. Oh, no. The Vatican expressly forbade it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Saint Martin, that's a new one. Yeah. Um, Princeton's own Saint Anne Matthews Martin. Stormborn. <laughs> uh, Jack, we read a hell of a book this week. Yeah, we sure did. Can I tell you where I read this book? Yeah, please. Uh, I read it strolling around the gardens of Versailles <laughs> on Saturday. Good. I was at Versailles doing some sightseeing, and I went out to the gardens, and I uh, strolled around. I found a nice bench by one of the beautiful fountains, and I just sat and read a Babysitter's Club book. It was just you and like 15... 15- American and Japanese tourists also reading <laughs> Christie's Mystery Admirer. Yep. <laughs> it's such a cliche thing to do in France now, to go to Versailles and read a Christie book. <laughs> I felt like uh, Marie Antoinette <laughs> yeah. you know, out there in my gardens reading my 80s youth fiction. <laughs> I texted you earlier today. I said, this book is a scorcher because you hadn't started it yet. Yeah, it's good as hell, man. It's got everything. Baseball. Yep. Passion. Revenge, occult, uh, paranormal. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm looking forward to digging into that. But uh, we should tell the Baby Nation what the book is about before we do anything else. We have a long-standing segment 
in which I describe the book and then you describe the book in a feat of epic redundancy that we've never seen fit to rectify. I don't even think anyone likes this. I think everyone just skips over this part of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's like the chapter two of the Babysitter's Club. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you how I became a babysitter and my friends and I started a club. It's like, yes, Christy, you've done that fucking 40 fucking times. I'm reading these one after the other every week, Christy. I don't need to know. It's not that interesting. You discovered that there was a hole in the fucking market, and there were a lot of babies that weren't getting sat. Uh, and you're a good yeah. businesswoman. You're a great businesswoman. Let's be honest. Yes, yeah, savvy. Um, here's what we like to do. I am going to give a 50,000-foot view of what happened in this book. Yeah. I'm going to weave a web of words about the broad narrative themes in Christie's Mystery Admirer. Then I'm going to put 60 seconds on a stopwatch of some kind and mm-hmm. have you fill in the, the mundanities and the trivialities. that The, the, real, the real gristle. You're going to yeah. have me chew through the gristle. Should we, oh, uh, sorry. You're, you're a lifelong vegan. I'll explain. Uh, so <laughs> on a cut of meat, like, there's usually like a, a hunk of fat on it uh-huh. that's very tough and, and inedible. Okay. Uh, meat eaters call that the gristle. Right. I'm going to give you some prime rib in the form of a... Uh, no, thank summary? you. I, I'm actually a vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're going to start chewing on some gristle. Good. I'm glad we got that metaphor down. Um, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to describe this book. Are you ready for that? God, I wish you would. Okay. I'm going to begin now. There's a fine line between love and obsession. Coach Christy Thomas knows this to be true as her days spent managing her beloved baseball team are supplanted by nights spent dreaming about winning the World Series. And Bart Basher knows it too as his own dreams are filled more and more with Christy, glowing and resplendent in her blue jeans and turtleneck, and the visor perched atop her flowing locks. And someone else knows it, too. Someone who dreams only of vengeance, only of hatred, only of blood. There is a fine line between love and obsession, and Coach Christy Thomas is about to find out what happens when that line gets crossed. Christie's mystery admirer. Chilling fucking tale we read this week, Tanner. Yeah, I was legitimately worried for Christie at moments. Yeah. I started to buy into Christie's theory. So Christie starts, well, I'll give my summary. Okay, well, let's do that. Why don't I put 60 seconds on the big bad clock? Big bad clock, yep. And uh, I'd like you to take... No more and no less than one minute to describe what happened I'll in take this a, book. I'll take however much time I'd like, Jack. Okay. As long Shepherd. as that is exactly one minute, I'm okay with that. Okay. We're going to begin right now. Okay. So, the uh, Christie's Crushers play Bart Bashers in an exhibition match, uh, and they defeat them. Bart's Bashers was down a couple men. Uh, half the team was out sick. Uh, they decide, you know what? We're ready. Time for a World Series of... Lower than Little League Baseball in Stony Brook, Connecticut. Uh, they they decide to have a World Series. It's going to be in like I don't know a month. So they all start training and they get ready. Uh, Christy receives a love letter as, from a secret admirer. It actually ends up at Shannon Kilborn's house. Shannon brings it over and says, "You got this love letter. It's from a secret admirer. It says, Christy, I love you so much. You're so beautiful." Uh, a couple days later, she gets another one, and then another one, and another one, and they start getting creepier and creepier. They start saying stuff like, "Christy, you're going to die soon, and I'm going to kill you." 
Uh, and then she gets one that has fingernail clippings in it. And it says, Christy, Amanda Thomas, this is all that's going to be left of you when I'm done with you. Uh, and then all the girls start to speculate, who is this? Is it Bart? Is he doing this? Is he a psychopath? She, Christy invites Bart to the Halloween hop before they have any and of this time. conversation. Fuck. It's just it's a dense dense text this there's week, man. So much. Well, and what I like about it is there's Anna Martin gives so much misdirection in this book. Did you hear how quick I was talking? Yeah, no, I was that trying was to awesome. tear through it. Um, but I, I feel like this ended on a cliffhanger that's perfect. You've introduced two players. Is it Shannon Kilborn? Is it Bart Basher? Who's writing these fucking insane, creepy love right, letters to Christie? Shannon Kilborn receives the first one in her mailbox and brings it to Christie. Right. And then she's acting shady as hell. First of all, it's shady as hell that Shannon Kilborn in 40 books has done nothing. And then yeah, all, of a sudden, all of a sudden she's a major player. Major player. Every other book is like, yeah, and there's this other person called Shannon Kilborn who you've never met because she's never around. And then the beginning of this book, Christy's like, I was hanging out with my best friend, Shannon Kilborn, for the 10th day in a row. I don't know if Anne Martin is, you say retcon in the business? Is that what you comic book nerds say? Yeah, that's what, that's what we call it. We call it retcon. I don't know if she retconned Shannon Kilborn into Christy's life or whether Shannon yeah, it's Kilborn. Just a, it's a quiet period for Shannon right now. She doesn't have any <laughs> foreign dictators to assassinate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like her summer vacation from the CIA. She's under deep cover in Stony Brook. Oh, right. There's a high-profile target in Stony Brook. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me at all. Well, maybe it's whoever's writing these fucking insane, creepy notes. Christy has a theory when shit starts to break bad. Yeah. Christy theorizes that, oh, wait, I am the daughter of one of Stony Brook's wealthy elites. What if this is some kind of kidnapper who's coming after me to hold me for ransom? So that yeah. Watson Brewer will pay the ransom. And towards the end of this book, I was like, oh shit, is that what's happening? The fingernail thing was wild, Jack. That was insane. That's one of the most insane things that's ever happened in these novels. More so than Marianne's fucking cat getting kidnapped and taken for ransom. Somebody literally sent Christy a letter filled with fingernail clippings that said, this is all that's going to be left of you when I'm finished with you. That is right. fucking terrifying there's laws against that yeah that person and you and i know who that person is baby nation doesn't know who that person is yet but that right. person should be in jail i think so should we just say who it is or do you want to just keep the mystery no let's keep the tension let's all keep right the tension alive baby nation should experience what we went through when we were reading this book oh man and like i ceased to trust people that i would have trusted with my life before this book i was like is marianne behind it is fucking Shannon Kilborn doing this? Oh, and how dare you, Anne? How dare you make me distrust Bart so shortly after I just got to know him? Yeah, our beloved you know, I'm Bart still Basham. forming a relationship with this guy. You can't make me hate him. Yeah. Um, these letters, I wrote down what each of the letters said, and I won't go through them all now, though I'll want to come back to it. They start off with love, and then they get intense. Like, the middle one that's really intense is, Dear Christy, I love you, I love you, I love you. Love. Get the picture? <laughs> You're a mystery admirer. And then the next one just goes, I love you, I love you, I love you. But beware, love is fickle, so are friends. Watch out. You know what the weird part is? I think the, I love you, I love you, I love you, love, get the picture? Yeah. I think that one was still from the original Secret Admirer. <laughs> yeah, maybe. There were some pretty intense ones. The second one from the original Mystery Admirer sounds like a ninth century Chinese poem. <laughs> uh -huh. It sounds like it's like Li Po or something. Dearest Christy, I can't stop thinking about you. Maybe I'm in love with you. 
I don't know. I've never been in love before. You are as beautiful as a snow-covered mountain. That's a beautiful sentiment. It's like you're my Everest, you know? I, I want to, to climb you. I want to... Girls like that. <laughs> well, listen, do you want to talk about the dialectic here? Okay. Like this dialectic of love and violence, which is kind of now becoming a feature of these Christie Bart romances? It's becoming a feature of these books, Jack. This is like the third book in a row where the girls are exploring love interests. Right. Yeah, totally. Ben Hobart moved to town and Mal fell for him. Yeah, Donna's like dating dudes in Stony Brook High. Yeah, just clad in pure light <laughs> denim. Yeah, Donna's dating like a denim display. A denim dream. Yeah, hopefully that's the last we've seen of Travis. Um, but this book, much like our last Christie versus Bart book, uh, Christie and the Walking Disaster, has this these sort of two opposing views of love that are encapsulated in Christie's Crushers, like a crush, which is a view of love as an elevation of the self. And then the opposing view, which is encapsulated in Bart's Bashers, which is love as violence. Why do you say that Bart's Bashers encapsulate love well, as Well, because violence? when you have a crush on someone, that's really nice for everyone involved. But when you bash someone... That's bad. It's violent. I don't think Bart has any interest in bashing Christy, Jack. <laughs> what I'm trying to talk about is these two opposing views of love in many ways get reconciled throughout these letters that are written, right? It's this dialectic where it's like love as elevation of the self and love as self-annihilation. Love as elevation of the self encapsulated by having a crush and love as self-annihilation as encapsulated by bashing. Right? And so okay. what's the synthesis of those two things going to be? Love. Right? And bashing. You've got your thesis, which is that love is the elevation of the self. You've got your antithesis, which is that love is self-annihilation. And yeah. your synthesis is annihilating another? Well, what I think it is is that in order to be reborn, we must first die. It's love as apotheosis, Right. You know they can't see when you like lean back in your chair and like shake your head and I was frustration. My head. I'm just I'm just looking out the window. You <laughs> okay. know? There's a lot happening in Paris tonight. But don't you you didn't you see that in the progression of these letters, right? Where they start with this tenderness and then they kind of mm -hmm. they they go through this cycle of violence. Mm-hmm. And then they no. end the last note that happens when they're all the babysitters are meeting after the fingernail clippings. Christy finds a note under her pillow that's written in like magazine cutouts. And it just says, I am coming for you tonight. There's no way to escape me. And that is the tragedy, but the natural progression of this book where it's like Christy is growing up. She can't escape that. That one was from Shannon, though. That one was a prank from Shannon. Right. Shannon pranked her. She's experienced love, and she realizes that in order to be reborn in this new reality, she must first die. She must first kill a part of herself, and that is her innocence. The clock just ticked over. It's now It's now tomorrow. Okay. Good. Congratulations. It's now 12 o'clock. Here I am talking about the antithesis to bashing. He didn't seem to be at all interested in the dialectic of love and violence. I thought that was going to be a pretty hot take for you to grab onto. 
Here's a note I captured that I think you might be interested in. Can I reveal who the mystery admirer was? Yeah, I think so. I think maybe Baby Nation even already knows. They tend to be kind of way ahead of us in terms of- It was Koki. It was the Babysitter's Club nemesis, Koki, uh, who, as most people in Baby Nation will recognize that name as the person who sent Marianne all of the evil notes last year during- Marianne's bad luck mystery. Here's what I'm thinking, man. Mm-hmm. What if Koki is the phantom phone caller? Yeah, dude. Yes. Right? So it's this woman called Koki Mason. Yeah, and, and it's a girl. And her jerk friends, Grace Bloom, Lisa, and someone called Bebe. <laughs> yeah, Bebe. Um, but I wonder if they're involved with this crime syndicate. Oh, you think they're the crime family of Stony Brook, Connecticut. Right. And we know that there's this guy from Marianne and the Search for Tigger, that kid who was like behind all these criminal acts surrounding yeah. the kidnapping of Tigger. You think he's part of the Mason family. They've got their fingers in a lot of pies. Yeah, they Stony certainly Brook. do. It's like bad crime because like how much money can you really make sending fingernail clippings to Christy Thomas? But I don't well, know. Well, I tell you what, Jack, her fucking stepfather is a goddamn millionaire so you tell me how much money you can make literally millions a million dollars yeah one million dollars when did that movie blank check come out i don't know that one i'm gonna look it up great do you know the premise of blank check no but i'm sure i'm gonna fucking hear a really concise wikipedia page read out it came out in 1994 Mm -hmm. the premise is a little boy gets hit he's on his bike and he gets hit by a car okay and a crime boss a mafiosa crime boss okay. gets out of the car and says uh oh, shit i can't have this on no cops no lawyers mm-hmm. uh i tell you what kid i'll pay for your bike i'm gonna sign this blank check over to you mm-hmm. just fill in however much the bike costs how does he get to be like the boss of an entire organization and think that's a good idea is that here's what happens in the, movie? <laughs> the kid goes to the bank and fills out the check for one million dollars yep and lives the most lavish, insane life. He buys a mansion. He puts McDonald's in it. Mm-hmm. He has one room that's just all TVs. It's every 10-year-old boy in 1994's wildest fantasy. My wildest fantasy in 1994 was to have a Turbo Graphics 16 and a Sega Genesis. You wanted both. You know what you could have used? A what? blank check. Yeah, I could have used a blank could, But I would have just needed a check for about... Three hundred and fifty-five dollars. I'm looking at you, Mister and Mrs. Shepherd. <laughs> yeah, yep. If you're listening, Dad, thanks for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> he's absolutely not listening. <laughs> anyway, that is all. My dad does sometimes listen because he signed up for Twitter at some point, uh-huh. and he only followed one person, which is me. And he also never goes to Twitter, but he gets emails from Twitter anytime the one person he follows tweets. We so tell him I'll to follow sometimes... me too. I'll, I'll ask him. But yeah, thank you. Sometimes he'll just be like, hey, thanks for the email. And I'll just be like, what? <laughs> and he'll have just got a random email from Twitter that's like, <laughs> and I'm just realizing, we, he and I have talked about this a bunch, and he'll be like, yeah, I listened to it. He has never once said, I like the show. No, He's of just course like, not. Why Woody? D- Why in God's name Woody? <laughs> listened to like five oh, different episodes. That's so touching, Jack. Yeah. Please, please get him to follow me too. Okay, I'll ask him too. Um, I tweet the wildest shit. He'll be completely <laughs> thrown off. Yeah, man. Yeah, your tweets are fire. 
Um, anyway, a million oh, yeah. dollars, blank check. Yeah. Blank check takes place four years after this book is written. Are we supposed to be talking about the Babysitter's Club books? In that movie, a million dollars goes a it long way. It feels like way. you're on the wrong podcast. I feel like no, it, let this me, isn't let called me... the Blank Check Check. It's called the no, Babysitter's Club Club. Like I, We're in I feel very like deep right now, but let me bring the metaphor back up. Okay. We're like four layers down. I need a kick. I need a yeah. kick back how does up it, to the How does it layer. feel, man? Just, now we're in an Inception metaphor. I just want you to know. Now you're down in the fifth layer, and you know what happens in the fifth layer? You can get trapped down there motherfucker that's what it feels like you're in the fifth layer now get let's bring it all the way worth back a lot up. let's in go up through the dreams okay so a million dollars is worth even more in 1990 uh-huh it's logical that koki mason this the crime boss of this crime syndicate uh-huh. stony brook would be ransoming christy thomas for a million dollars koki mason is potentially a crime boss and scene now we're back up okay good good i feel like i'm still dreaming now yeah, no, that'll happen. You need you need your totem. Yeah, yeah. Can you spin like a top on the table or something like that? No, that would pick up on the mic. Okay, good man. That's good stuff. Koki Mason. So, Baby Nation, just to fill you in on if you didn't read this book, Koki Mason did it. Bart Basher was innocent, and Shannon Kilborn. I think Anne wanted us to think that Shannon yeah. Kilborn also had a big crush on Bart Basher. And was trying to tear them apart. She was the only one who knew that Christy had been getting those notes. There's another blooming love story happening in these books. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks to to Shannon showing up at the Crusher-Basher face-offs. Yeah. Uh, At some point, insert name. (laughs) No, we can't do... You gotta... You gotta... (laughs) It's... it's, Oh, it's Buddy Barrett. Yeah, Buddy... At some point... Buddy Barrett hits a long pop fly, mm-hmm. and Shannon, who's just innocently sitting under a tree watching the game, catches it right in the dome. Yeah. And Buddy Barrett runs over and says, oh my god, oh my god, are you okay, are you okay? And she yeah. like shoots him a smile and is like, yeah, I'm okay. You know what's interesting about that? It's a really cool synthesis of the twin acts of love and violence. Huh. He bashes her with a baseball. Uh-huh. Violence. Then- mm-hmm. He falls in love with her. Love. Love. Yeah. Yeah, that is really cool. Yeah. Uh, anyway. It's almost Christy as says, if Anna Martin is setting up a series of mini dialectical progressions inside this book for avid readers and Anne heads to pick yeah. up on and talk about on their hit podcast. I feel like you're accusing one. me of not being a real Anne head. <laughs> yeah, I think you're not a big enough Anne head, man. I'm saying it. You're in France. You can't do shit to me, man. You're not a big enough Anne head. I literally booked an Airbnb on Rue de Saint-Martin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you just spent the day in Versailles reading Christie's Secret Admirer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, what do you have to do to be an Anne head if that's not enough? Yeah, right? Yeah. Um... Christy says that Shannon's ugly in this book. Yeah, that's intense. I noticed that. And she like and she really walks around it too. Yeah, it's super fucking weird. Do you have the passage? There stood Shannon. She has thick, curly, blonde hair, similar to Stacy's, and blue eyes. I wouldn't call her gorgeous like Dawn, or even attractive like Stacy. She's more interesting looking. <laughs> I once heard someone say that being called interesting is practically a curse. It's the word people use when they don't want to say that someone's right. ugly. Yeah, what the fuck, Christy? Christy gets one secret love letter, and all of a sudden she's like cock of the walk. 
She's like, oh, look at me. I'm Christy. I'm sought after by every man in Stony Brook. Yeah, no wonder people are sending her fucking fingernail clippings. I would too, man. Shannon's sending her fucking fingernail clippings. Yeah, Christy. Although we know it wasn't Shannon. It was Cookie. Yeah, it was Cokey. You want to move into a, a hot segment, my man? Let's do a little segment. Uh, no. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. You pulled you pulled a tanner on me. What? Ages ago, I was getting into a passage, and yeah. I started to explain that Cokey was the one who did the crime. Yeah, role reversal, motherfucker. That was all to explain that Bart did end up going to the Halloween hop with mm-hmm. Christy. Yep. Uh, and they had a great time. They had a fucking blast. It was so much fun. They dressed as lobsters uh it was weird what was weird about it jack like it's not very romantic it doesn't need to be jack guess what not everything has to be about fucking romance christy <laughs> can blaze her own trail jack quit trying to impose your fucking victorian prudish morality on her bart and christy do things their own way yeah they certainly do and in a move similar to christy calling shannon interesting the teacher who's hosting the Halloween hop, like the chaperone, is like, it's time to announce the prizes. Let me read you the passage. Okay. I would like to present the prizes for the best costumes. Bart and I glanced at each other, hopeful. Scariest costume prizes, said Mrs. Mandel, goes to Danny Olson and Tara Valentine, our space monsters. Funniest costume prizes go to Danielle Pritchard and Marcus Brown, the surfing dinosaurs. Cool. And the prizes for the most unusual costumes go to our lobsters, Christy Thomas and, and then she, Christy didn't hear her finish because she was so excited that she didn't, she yeah. started screaming instantly. I I just don't think that most unusual is yeah. like. Well, I mean, they want a free pizza. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's cool. Mostly um, what I wanted to focus on though is I have now have like a laser target mm-hmm. focus on anything that mentions the word dinosaurs. Yeah. Dinosaurs, ballerinas, Soldiers with their amazing weaponry. Any of the new factions. As Baby Nation will know, that's something that was introduced in Jesse's Babysitter a few books back. There are all sorts of new factions in Sony Brook. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. And we need to keep an eye on every single one of them. Yeah. What were they dressed up as? Surfing dinosaurs. Huh. You know who else is a surfer? Travis, the man in blue. Oh, wait, really? Yeah. I like that you call him the man in blue. You just (laughs) come up with that? The denim wave. Yeah. <laughs> I just think it's worth keeping an eye on, you know? The man yeah. in blue comes into town. Yeah. With his charms and his laid back attitude. Sets up shop outside of Sets Stony Brook Middle School. All of a sudden they're surfing dinosaurs. Yeah. Hmm. Huh. Is that a coincidence? I don't think so. Yeah. Well, it's all in the fucking text. I also did capture that as uh the best costume as one of my many burns of the week. All right, well, should we should we roll into that segment? Yes, please. Did you have a burn of the week? I've got one here and the note I captured with it is wow. This is a savage burn of the week. Oh, wow. Okay. Good. Okay, so Christy, in typical Christy form, is doing the thing where she's grossing Marianne out with her hot lunch. Mm-hmm. She's got, like, beef casserole on a fork, and she's like, look, Marianne, it's brains. And Marianne's like, gross. Yeah. Uh, Put it down, shrieked Marianne, and Logan gave me a dirty look. Of all the people at this table, said Don, who would think that she... Don had pointed at me, would have a mystery admirer. 
Yeah, Don looked at savage. Don looked as grossed out as Marianne. Like Don is supposed to be Christie's friend. Yeah, is that California casual, Don? To just yeah, be that's like, California. How could anyone ever love you? Yeah, look at you. You're a fucking wreck. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty fucking sad. I was like shocked when I read it. I was like, Don, you're supposed to be your friend. Yeah, Jesus, Don. Like if someone said that to me, I'd be really upset. Yeah, I'm going to try that. Oh, you know what we haven't fucking talked about? Speaking of things we ought to try, they have a cool new word in this book. Oh, I know. And it's. I wonder if it has any deeper meaning. Oh, it's so fucking cool. They say distant. Yeah, distant. Oh, did you hear the the hot new track? It that shit is distant. Yeah, I really like last episode of Babysitters Club Club. It was real distant. You all go into the Halloween hop. Apparently, it's supposed to be pretty distant. It's gonna be real distant. Yeah, and they say that they made it up. I think this is specific to Babysitters Club. I don't think people were saying this shit in the nineties. The Scholastic lawyers were like, "Anne, we need a catchphrase." Yeah, we need something to print on shirts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Polly Shore is mopping the floor with us. <laughs> He's like, weeds in the juice over here. We need something. We got nothing. She came up with distant. Yeah, here's one. Claudia is a fantastic artist, says Christy. Her work is incredibly distant. Then later, Christy describes Stacy as the most distant member of the whole club. (laughs) It gets a little confusing at times. Yeah. Um, And then the third mention of it is Marianne is reading uh, one of the love letters to Christy before they kind of go south. I love you, I love you, I love you, Marianne read. She sighed. That is so, so romantic. Distant, added Claudia. (laughs) (laughs) They're just trying their best to get this to stick. Yeah, yeah, totally. They're looking for any opportunity to stick. They get, like, each of the babysitters gets, like, a $500 paycheck every time they say distant. (laughs) (laughs) But that's cool, man. I'm down to start saying that if you are. That shit is yeah, fucking I'm super down. Distant. It's really it's super distant. Yeah. <laughs> did you, uh, Jack? Yeah. Did you have a, a BOTW? This yeah, week? man. There's a burn on Alan Gray who went to the Halloween hop with Christy last year. That, like your burn, is just insanely savage. They're like, oh, did Alan Gray write the notes? And Christy just she goes, I don't think so. Uh, he's too much of a dweeb to think up something like this. <laughs> who's Alan Gray, says Jesse. A jerk, a boy at school who's been a pest all of his life and probably will remain that way into adulthood. That's pretty good. It's like three insults in less than ten seconds. And it's not even a burn. It's just like a total dismantling. It's a complete character assassination. Yeah. Like, that's the end of Alan Gray. Like, he doesn't even fucking appear. Christy literally went to the Halloween hop with him last year, and now all he's ever going to amount to is a past. Yeah. Um, I'm worried that I'm Alan Gray, man. Yeah, dude. Every time they describe him, it just rings so true. Like, I was an obnoxious, like, look at me, look at me, like, prick when I was a kid. Yeah. And now look at me, you know? Baby Nation, I will let you judge for yourselves. You know Tanner through these podcasts. If you follow him on social media, you know him through his fire tweets. Please don't. Leave a, a nice rating for us on iTunes and let me know whether... You think oh, this God. describes this is my worst nightmare. a jerk, a boy no. at school who has been a pest all his life and probably will remain that way into adulthood. Has, has remained that That's way. That's literally going to be written on your fucking tombstone. Yeah. Yeah. A Look, jerk. We are all here to celebrate the life of Tanner Greenring, a jerk who was a pest <laughs> all his life and definitely remained that way into adulthood. <laughs>
R.I.P. Until, until his dying days. Yeah. Um, I have one more burn of the week. Yeah. And I've written here in my notes that it's actually a tandem burn of the week. <gasps> Tearful moment! Je suis désolé, my neighbors. Are they like banging on the wall? It's like a couple in there who've just been listening to this whole fucking thing, and they're like, "Now he's crying." <laughs> it seemed it seemed like a happy conversation, but now it's just, just banging like... on the wall. They're like, "We're trying to make love in here." <laughs> We're on our honeymoon. We're embarrassed. Um, here's my tandem burn of the week slash tearful moment. Wow. Okay. Hit me. This is after Christy invites Bart to the Halloween hop. Bart finds some lobster costumes in his attic that used to belong to his parents. Mm-hmm. It's great. I said, thanks. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. I hung up and ran back to my room. Shannon, I said, guess what? That was Bart. I'm going to do my own makeup. Watch this. I smeared my entire face with liquid rouge. I looked as red as a you-know-what. Shannon gaped. Christy, that is not a makeup job. It is when you're going to be a lobster. I explained to Shannon about the costumes. Then I gleefully took off my dress and put it back in the closet. Christy, said Shannon. What? You're weird. Yeah. Christy, in this moment, to paint a word picture for you, is standing in her underwear with her face fully rouged up. Yeah. And Christy says, thank you. Thank you. Shannon grinned at me. You and Bart are going to have a great time, she said. I hope so, I replied. I thought it was both very touching yeah. and a really good burn. It's beautiful. Well, my tearful moment is also related to Bart and Christy's strange relationship. Um, and it's after they kind of like have it out about whether he's writing the love letters or not and the weird like creepy fingernail letters. And I guess we should probably explain at this point that Bart wrote the love notes. Cokie wrote the fingernail notes. For a few seconds, Bart and I just looked at each other. I felt so confused. Finally, I said quietly, Thank you for the first notes. I like them a lot. That's why I saved them. Really? said Bart. Yeah, I did. I never got... I almost said love letters. I never got notes like those before. I felt... I don't know how I felt, but I know I'll never throw those letters away. Bart smiled. That's how I wanted you to feel. You're really special, Christy. I just thought that was really fucking beautiful. Bart Basher obviously loves Christy so much. I don't think his last name's Basher. <laughs> <laughs> Why is this baseball team called Bart's Bashers? <laughs> yep, hoisted, hoisted on my own patel. Yep, yep, there you go. Um, but I had a little bit of a tearful moment because it was just like, their love could never be because they are going to be trapped in amber for eternity as we know from these books that's true of logan and marianne too i kind of think logan exists outside of time but like this book drove home the poignancy and the weirdness of that of that fact that these girls are never going to age it's the third halloween hop it's the third eighth grade halloween hop that we've experienced that you and i have experienced the first one christy goes with alan gray the second one, Marianne goes with Logan. The third one, Christy goes with Bart Basher. The question for hey, you. Hey, 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 fourth, if you count our own Halloween hops, am I right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. No one invited me to a dance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
That was really sad. <laughs> just fucking burn of the week on yourself in a small, lonely apartment <laughs> in Paris <laughs> at one in the fucking morning. Yeah. Just yeah. like... <laughs> I hope your neighbors, after this is over, just like knock on the door and are like, hey, we brought you another Cronenberg. We heard that no one ever invited you to a fucking dance. We're pissed at you for keeping us up, but we're also yeah, really sad for your fucking We feel life. really bad for you. Yeah. Like, the thing about you that is so sad <laughs> is that, hang tight, I'm going to burn you <laughs> so fucking good, is that you are Jack a jerk. furious looking through his notes. You're clearly a jerk. And you are clearly a boy at school who's been a pest all his life and probably will remain that way into adulthood. Yep. Listen, the, here's my fucking question for you. Mm-hmm. Do these Halloween hops happen at the same time over each other? Do they, like, rewrite each other? Are they happening simultaneously? The eighth grade Halloween hop has now happened three times. We don't know. We'd have to. We'd really have to dig into Amber Theory, I right. think, to explore whether or not this is some kind of recursive time loop. Right. Does it erase previous versions of the Halloween hop? I mean apparently not because like Mary no, still doesn't. remembers No, it doesn't. We know it Logan, doesn't, right? And we still know that Christy remembers bringing Alan Gray to a previous Halloween hop. Right, but it must be happening in that same moment because it's literally the same year, the same grade, still the same grade. people. That's crazy. All those things are happening at once. All of those different paths are branching out at the same time, at the same moment. In the Halloween hop. Well, what if what if we're thinking about Amber theory the wrong way, and it's actually like multiple timelines theory, where at some point the timelines split. Good. And book ten, when Princess Martin, Saint Martin, dis- I prefer Saint Martin, imposed Amber theory upon all of us. Right. What if it's not Amber theory? What if we're just exploring different timelines based on that trajectory? Okay, well, so that's a real question for Anna Martin is, is this a group of girls who are repeating the same year over and over, but accumulating experiences in the course of that year that they remember? Or are we just witnessing a thousand different alternate universes of what might happen? I think it's alternate universes. And I think the the split is book 10. And I think every 10 books... We have an alternate timeline. Jesus. And I think Halloween Hop is going to be our totem. Yeah, Halloween Hop is obviously one of the waypoints in these right. novels. Halloween Hop comes up again and again. Do you know the game Bioshock? Um, it's a video game. It's a video game. It's very popular. It's very good. But it's about this. And there is a waypoint. There's a totem that is a lighthouse. And our listeners who have played Bioshock are like, losing their shit right now because this is the this is the thing about Bioshock. Okay. The lighthouse is the constant. It is the thing that exists in every timeline. Okay. And that's the Halloween hop. That's the same for the I I buy that. The Halloween hop. So like I think what happens is at this dance at the still point of the turning world. At the still point of the turning world. Yeah, what's that from T.S. Eliot? Yep. You nailed it, buddy. It's from Four Quartets. You're getting you're getting real predictable in your old age, man. <laughs> it's either Dante or it's either T.S. Eliot. At the still point of the turning world, there the dance is. That's how that quote ends. There the dance is. The Halloween hop. That's what Eliot was talking about. You Googling I'm just something? Googling the four quartets. This is way too long. I'm not gonna read this right now. 
how does it begin? Uh, time present and time past. Are both eternally present in time future? Is that right? No, are both perhaps present in time future. Ugh, it's so fucking good. Do you not see that this is about what we've just been talking about? Time present and time past are both perhaps present in time future. And then later he says, at the still point, at the waypoint, at the still point of the turning world, there the dance is. Right? Yep. The Halloween hop. Yep. Anne and... Seems like a good poem. Anne and T.S. Eliot both knew something. Let me. I'm going to do a quick word search on this poem for the word bees. Nope, nothing. <laughs> but he does talk Man, about... That, that had been a hell of a thing, though, huh? Yeah. Let me search doll. Nope. Nope, nothing. Let me search dinosaur. <laughs> You're not going to find it. <laughs> That's a tough one to rhyme. Yeah. Um, something to keep an eye on, man. It's always TSL with you. Yeah. Well, he's, he's my guy. You know, get a life. <laughs> Good. Anything else you want to talk about, my man? Um, I don't really have anything else. Do you? Oh, you know what? Something else. Fucking Charlie is. Charlie needs to figure out what he's doing. He's working for slave wages. Like they they give him like two dollars for every time that he drops Christy off. Charlie doesn't need to worry about money. He's got someone looking after him. <laughs> he's got a he's got a, a an older woman with a little money to throw around. Oh yeah, you know who's uh. She likes the cut of his jib. Uh, is it Mrs. Barrett? No, it's a single older woman. You know, she she recently came to Stony Brook. She's looking for uh, she's looking for love. You think Mrs. McGill? <laughs> no, I meant <laughs> I meant the 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 Jesse's aunt Cecilia. <laughs> Cecilia. <laughs> All right. Although that's not going to make any sense because I think I cut all of our speculation on who yeah. Aunt Cecilia was dating yeah. out of that episode. So. <laughs> we did talk about how there are no eligible bachelors in Stony Brook. Um, all right. Well, Baby Nation, if you want to write fan fiction about Jesse's Aunt Cecilia and Charlie Brewer. Yeah, let's not. <laughs> you know what, Tanner? What? Let's get out of here. Oh, you're telling me, man, it's 1 a.m. Yeah. Baby nation. Yeah. Baby boys, baby girls, baby bees. Baby bees. Uh, baby people. Please rate and review us on iTunes. Yep. That makes a real big difference for us in terms of getting our podcast noticed. Uh, yes. Which is important because there are a bunch of ant heads out there who have no idea. Yeah. And I feel like. Baby Nation has really turned into a little bit of a community. And I, I think especially as Wandering Frog people picks up steam, yep. you're going to want as many potential targets as possible. <laughs> so rate, review, subscribe to the show, and tell your friends about it too. Yeah. Uh, get yourself a Wandering Frog person. Give it yep. to someone you love. Or wait until you somehow acquire one of the two active Wandering Frog peoples out in the world right now. Right. Um. Listen, I have been Jack Shepard. You're supposed to say something now. I was trying to remember. Moi, uh... Oh, Jesus. You're... Wait. Je m'appelle Tanner Greenring. Je suis désolé. <laughs> I feel like that's how you should introduce yourself in general. My name's Tanner. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's good. I've been Jack Shepard. I've been Tanner Greenring. This has been 
another episode of the Babysitter's Club Club. This week, we read Christie's Mystery Admirer. And next week, we're going to be reading a little book called Poor Mallory. <laughs> Why do you say it with such enthusiasm? <laughs> it's got an exclamation point at the end. I really want to catch in that. <laughs> Poor Mallory. I wonder what happens to Mallory. Oh, God, I hope Ben Hobart doesn't dump her. Oh, God, Jack. Oh, fuck. We know how this works. One relationship starts, another relationship must end. Jesus, that's the dialectic, man. Love is violence. In order for something to be reborn, something must die. That's what this is about, right? Now we have Christy and Bart. Something must end. Ben Hobart and Mallory. Well, it's just Mallory. Mallory. How do you do American? Mallory. (laughs) You know how to do American. (laughs) Um, Oh, congratulations, Jack, on your U.S. citizenship, by the way. Everyone in Baby Nation, congratulate Jack. It's not official yet. I passed the test. Goodbye, everybody. I don't know how to get out of here. Claudia. Claudia. No, no. How about I say it? Claudia is wearing a bra now. And the way she talks, you would think that boys had just been invented. I saw a tweet today from someone. I like every now and then I'll search Babysitter's Club Club or Babysitter's Club Club with a hyphen. Yeah. Just to see what people who aren't tagging us are saying. Mm-hmm. And one lady said, that, oh, wasn't there a podcast you recommended me to one of her friends? And her friend said, yeah, it was called the Babysitter's Club Club, but I got really sick of it. What the hell? Why would you <laughs> tell me that now? Should we? Do you want, me, you want me to just start writing her letters and sending her my fingernails and shit? <laughs> You have to send her her fingernails. (laughs) Oh, yeah. This is all that's going to be left of you if you don't give us a fucking good review on iTunes.